morning to be a joyful people. Lord, we thank you that you live. And because of that, we can have hope for tomorrow, Lord. And we pray that you increasingly make us a people who would share this hope and joy with the world, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a quote I have heard many times, and I've found it to be true over and over again in my own life. And when I looked it up, I was surprised to find that it's actually been attributed to four different Christian leaders. Now, I'm not sure who came up with it first, but the good news at least is that we can guess it's really, 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 really true. It's been attributed to Rick Warren, to Corey Ten Boom, to Tim Keller, and to Max Licato. And it goes like this. You don't know God is all you need until God is all you have. I'll say it again. You don't know God is all you need until God is all you have. The idea is that when life is comfortable and everything's going well, God's an optional extra. But when trouble comes and you find that all comfort and happiness in life has evaporated and you've nothing left to lose but to put your trust in God, it's then that you find out that God actually cares for you and he protects you and he provides for you. And better than that, he gives you joy and he gives you strength. In the passage today, we're going to see how Philip endured adversity, how God permitted adversity in Philip's life to form deep contentment and joy inside him. And in turn, to send him out and to take that deep contentment and joy to an entire city. And I hope we're going to see how that could be our story as well. So as we turn to the passage, I want you to imagine for a moment that you live in a town that is openly hostile to the church. And then imagine that within the last week or so, someone from the church family, maybe even somebody from your life group, has been seized in the street and put on trial for preaching the word of God, for sharing their faith. And that actually later, that person was killed by an angry mob. And while you're dealing with this trauma and reeling from it, you get word that there's a vicious mob going around town, kicking in the doors of houses of Christians and dragging them off to jail, men and women, young and old alike. It's pretty awful, isn't it? I mean, I don't think we'd want to stay in a town like that. I think it's safe to say that our response would be to flee. But what if there was nowhere to go that would welcome you as a Christian? I think the temptation would be in that moment to keep your faith to yourself, to keep your head down, and to get to somewhere safe. And even if you were asked to deny that you were a Christian, just to be safe. Well, that's the scene that Luke has painted for us at the beginning of chapter 8 of the book of Acts. But our passage today begins in verse 4 with these surprising words. It says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Those that had been scattered, including Philip, preached the word wherever they went. 
They weren't running in fear. They weren't going into hiding. They weren't renouncing their faith. The trials they had uh, endured had only served to embolden them. What was designed to wipe the church off the face of the map had actually had the complete opposite effect and empowered the church to take the gospel out to the ends of the earth. It's a bit like if you've ever tried to light a fire with just matches and some tinder. You establish a small flame and you protect it until it's just strong enough and then the next thing you do is you blow on it. And you see as you blow on it that it's actually the wind that increases the flame. As you blow for a brief second, it looks like the flame might even go out. But every time you blow, every time the wind blows, the flame comes back stronger and stronger and the fire gets bigger and bigger. Philip and the other believers had come to a place where God was all they had. Philip's best friend had been killed. He was separated from the church. He was alone. He had no choice but to put all of his trust in God. He trusted him with his future. He trusted him with everything that he was. And when he put his life in God's hands, he came to understand that suffering isn't meaningless or senseless. That the Spirit of God was doing something new. He knew God hadn't abandoned him in that moment. And his faith grew stronger and stronger. And the fire got bigger and bigger. Like the song we just sung, Philip could say, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, life is worth living just because he lives. If the wind of adversity is blowing your flame today, or if it has been in recent times, let me say that God is with you. He's for you if you'll just place your trust in him. The passage goes on in verse five and it says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Philip was on the move, being led by the Holy Spirit and following his experience in Jerusalem, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But more than that, he was clothed with divine purpose and divine authority. And he comes to a city and he preaches the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He doesn't come preaching a religion or a system of rules. He comes preaching a person. Tim Keller talks about this. And he says that all other religions in the world, generally speaking, say that here's what you must do to be connected to God. You must try harder in some way or another. But the gospel is news. It's news of a historical event where God came in a person to establish that connection for us. You don't need to try harder. It's already been done for you. All you need to do is receive it. Philip takes this wonderful news to a city because that's where most of the people are. He doesn't just find a remote location and wait for people to come to him or sit inside a building and wait He's out on the streets, just like the church had been in Jerusalem, sharing the gospel in word and deed with signs and wonders. The passage goes on to say, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. 
For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. When the power and authority of the Holy Spirit is carried into a city, there is conviction of sin, there is healing and transformation. In the presence of the Spirit of truth, impure spirits bow down as people are set free to embrace the gospel message, in this case, in great numbers. Now, today we call that a revival. But maybe we feel a wee bit like that's something that happens somewhere else at a different time in a different place. And I, I have thought that too. But I remember not so long ago, one day I was working here in the office and Jill and Robin had dropped in to see me about something and they were leaving again and we'd said goodbye and they went out the door and I, I was going back to work. But Jill and Robin appeared back through the door again. And they told me that there was a man at the doors, the main doors of the church, who was greatly distressed. And Jill had brought him over. And when he came in, he said to us, I don't know why I came here. I have nowhere else to go. I just can't take it anymore. Mark was here, and, and Mark and I sat and talked to him. And he told us some of his story. And he was struggling with addiction. And he was suffering the effects of trauma and violence in his life. And there was stories of relationship breakdown and we we listened and we we talked to him about Jesus and right there in that moment in this place he committed the broken fragments of his life to the Lord we prayed with him we give him a Bible we give him some things that would help him in his Christian walk and off he went and I checked in with him on a regular basis over the coming weeks and months. And initially it looked like nothing was happening. He wasn't reading the Bible. There was still great chaos going on in his life. And I was tempted to think, well, this hasn't really worked. But then it seemed like all of a sudden things changed and he was overcome with a great hunger for the Word of God. He was watching stuff on YouTube and every time I phoned him, it seemed like he had a different, difficult question about God that I needed to go and ask someone else about. Over the period of just over a year, I had the privilege of seeing the Lord rebuild this man from the ground up. We prayed together many times that the Lord would remove obstacles in his life. And one by one, sometimes with great shrieks and loud cries, the impure spirits were driven out of his life. Addiction was broken in his life. Oppression was broken in his life. Anger was broken in his life. And shame was broken in his life. It was amazing. It was brilliant. Later I found out he was volunteering two days a week for a Christian charity, delivering furniture to other people who were in need and that he'd been recently baptized in the sea. And the last time that I spoke to him, he said that he just couldn't believe he'd went so long in his life without knowing who he really was, without knowing the joy that he was a child of God. It occurred to me only after that this was a Holy Spirit sign and wonder that had happened right in front of my eyes, and I nearly missed it just because of the timescale. 
A passage like the one we're reading today can build the expectation in us that when the Holy Spirit acts, transformation is instantaneous. And that is sometimes the case. But it's perhaps more common that it takes time. And whenever it happens, in whatever way, no matter what time scale it happens on, it is a reason for great, great joy and celebration. Luke writes of this joy about the passage today, and he communicates it to us and to anyone else who's read this passage with the simple words at the end that say, so there was great joy in the city. We know that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not repent. This is a vision of the kingdom of God. It's joyful. It's full of joy. God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. So there was great joy in the city. God's people in 2021 have come through a time of adversity in the last 12 months. Our patterns of worship have been disrupted. Fellowship has been suspended. We've been forced to flee from our buildings. But if we recommit and trust God and trust the Spirit of God is at work and that all of this is not meaningless, that in Christ we have a calling and a purpose and that God means it all for good, then like those early believers, like Philip, who God used to take such joy to his city, God will use our experience to strengthen us. Those who had been scattered preached the word of God wherever they went, and they preached it with joy. The gospel these days is advancing on a, in a big way, in a new way online, through things like the Alpha Course and through church services like this one being streamed to anyone that wants to watch it. And there's a renewed vision in the church to go to where people are, no longer to be just in the building, but also to be out among the people, on the streets, in people's homes, talking to them and sharing the love of God. God's on the move. God's people are on the move, bringing good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So how do we join in with what God's doing? As Nigel mentioned last week, we need to allow God's word to ground us in truth. We need to be overcome by a hunger for the word again. We need to soak ourselves in scripture and memorize it and allow it to transform us. We need to spend time with God in prayer and we need to increasingly trust uh, God for all of our future that he will take care of us and he will provide for us. And we will come to see more and more that even if God is all we have, he is all we need. Secondly, we can, we can step out and become people who are disciples making disciples. We can follow the Great Commission like the early believers did, seeking to transform our world, not the whole world, but our world. And that means going public with our faith in our everyday lives, changing the atmosphere in our workplaces and in our homes, in our towns, on our streets, with our neighbors, 
doing good works to help our neighbors, or taking a stand on justice issues, or maybe gossiping the gospel in the queue at the supermarket, or praying for healing with the postman if the need arises, or bringing the fragrance of Christ into relationships that have tension and strife, forgiving one another as we have been forgiven bringing the balm of Christ and soothing people who are burdened. Whatever it looks like for you, the truth is that the church of Jesus Christ in 2021, as it always has done, has the most impact on the world when ministry is done in the power of the Holy Spirit by everyone, everywhere, every day. And my goodness, the world needs a church that's willing to do this right now. The world needs a church that's willing to place its trust entirely in the Lord. A church that's brimming over with the joy and the love of Jesus Christ. A church that isn't afraid to minister in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit and that's willing to go to wherever people are. A church made up of people that live like God is all they have because they know that God's all they really need. Let our prayer be that the Lord would use us to bring joy to homes and streets and towns and cities. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word to us this morning. We thank you for the passage, Lord. We, we thank you for what it has to teach us. Lord, we we ask you to increase in us a desire to follow you wherever it is that you lead us, in our personal lives, corporately as a church, Lord, to step out and to find that the things that you have for us, Lord, are good and that you will not harm us, Lord, that you will work things together for our good. Lord, fill us full of your love and your passion to help people, to bless them, to see them come to know you, Lord, fan our flames into a great fire. In Jesus' name, amen.